Hey, this is four-time Olympian Ruben Gonzalez. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to Leadership is Changing podcast with my friend, Dennis Giannuzzo. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us here, and I've got a wonderful guest with me. His name is Ruben Gonzalez. Now, why would anybody in his right mind, want to jump on a sled and hurl himself down an icy mountain at over 80 miles per hour. Well, at the age of 21, Ruben took up the sport of luge and started training for the Olympics. Four years and a few broken bones later, Ruben made his Olympic dream come true. But he didn't stop there. He kept training, and at the age of 47, he was racing against 20-year-olds at the Vancouver Winter Olympics. Ruben's uh, the first person to ever compete in four Winter Olympics in four different decades. He's also the best-selling, he's got a best-selling book, The Courage to Succeed. Ruben, a massive welcome to you to the episode. Dennis, uh, thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, very good to have you here. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I live in Colorado Springs, uh, which is about 50 miles south of Denver, Colorado. Right, oh, very nice. right at the face of the Rockies. Beautiful place. Oh, awesome. That would be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're up oh, at wow. 7,400 feet. And uh, you, know, you come over to visit, you, you're going to be dizzy for a couple of days, but but it's worth it. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Now, four Olympic Games, that's huge. And congratulations on doing that. That's, that's wonderful. Now, your background, I've covered off a little bit for our listeners here. But the thing is for you, what I really want to know is what was it like for you as a older Olympic athlete competing against the younger ones in the Vancouver Winter Olympics? <laughs> even, even before that, at the Salt Lake City Olympics, uh, 2002, I was, I was 39 and I felt like a dad that was visiting his kids in college because everybody was in their 20s. And everybody was asking me if I was a coach. What are you coaching? <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm an athlete. And they wouldn't believe me. And so by Vancouver, I was 47. And uh, they were asking if I was coach's dad. So, <laughs> so but I, I felt happy to be there. I mean, blessed and happy to be there. Yeah, that's good. And you've got a book out there called The Courage to Succeed. Tell us a little bit about that book. I believe that no matter what your goal is, you have to have two types of courage to, to achieve it. You have to have the courage to get started. 
And everything's tough in the beginning because you don't have any skills. So you have to stay in the game long enough. You have to have the curse to endure. And uh, the curse to get started comes from uh, believing it's possible. If you believe something's possible, hey, I'll give it a shot. The curse to uh, not quit, to endure, comes from your desire. If you want it badly enough, ain't nothing going to make you quit. And so I had the uh, desire for a long time, but it wasn't until till I was inspired and got the, uh, the, the belief that, that I was ready to take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really important. I mean, for a lot of us, and if you think about our listeners here as well, that for them to get underway in leadership or do something or even make a decision on a project and initiative and things like that, it's having the courage to get started. But yeah. it's also the courage to endure and keep going and not quit. Because I tell you something else as well here, Ruben, is that you know, for a lot of people in the podcast industry, they tend to get up to episode seven or 10 and quit. And whereby, you know, actually making sure that, A, to get underway and having that courage to start it, but then to keep going <laughs> yep. is very, very important. And you can apply that to anything in life like you just talked about, right? Yeah. And and I, I've told my kids a million times, you know, everything's hard in the beginning. Everything's hard in the beginning. Just to, you know, let them know, uh, get them to uh, uh, manage their expectations, right? And be ready. It's going to be tough, but yeah, you're tougher too. What kept you going at the age of 39 and 47 to keep going to those Olympic Games? I had a different motivation for each one. Uh, the first one was just to be an Olympian. Uh, the mm-hmm. second one uh, was to win the respect of the Germans. The Germans uh, totally dominate our sport, and uh, they wouldn't give me the time of day. But two years after my first Olympics, it was like a memo went out, and they said, uh, you know, all of a sudden I was, hey, Gonzalez, Speedy Gonzalez, how are you? And uh I got mad. I said, what's up with you guys? I've been nice to you for years, and now I'm Speedy Gonzalez. And they said, well, it's two, you, two years after your first Olympics. Obviously, you're trying to make Al- Albertville. And whether you make it or not doesn't matter to you, to us, right? What matters is you're showing respect to the sport, and uh, now we, you know, we can respect you. So it was about you know, uh, paying your price, basically. Yeah, it's like earning your stripes, or you've been there and you're paying the – paying the way and paving the way to keep going. But I think they were probably sort of acknowledging your consistency and your ability to stay in the game, which is really important. Oh, and that felt like a million bucks to get the thumbs up from the, from the Germans. And so um, then I quit for about six years and my coach talked me into uh, starting to train for Salt Lake. He said, the U S Olympic spirit's the best. You don't want to miss this one. And he convinced me and I quit again, started my speaking business, started writing books. And after about six years, business was good. And I got bored again. I get bored easy. And so I started training again. And the mo- motivation for that one was no one had ever done four Winter Olympics in four different decades. And I thought, hey, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I became the cool. first to do that. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well done. Thanks. Very cool. Is there a fifth one? That was, uh, that was the fourth one. Yeah. You, are you uh, going to go for the fifth one? Well... Never say never. Never say never. Let's see. Uh, next one's Cortina. If I make one more, that'd be five decades. And coaches are saying, I mean, you got, you know, you're sliding better now than you ever have. So, so that would be five decades and I would be the oldest winter Olympian in any sport. So we'll see. We'll see. The desire has to be there because it's a hard, you know, it, it takes a lot of commitment. And uh, if I can keep my desire up, you know, who knows? You see a you see at the at the Cortina Milan Olympics. Uh, you see a guy walking in with a walker. You know, hey, I had him on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, you heard it, heard it here first about he was going to do his fifth one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. No, that's very good. Now we we talk about leadership here, of course. And that, how did you get into leadership? I know you've done a TEDx on leadership and things like that. How did you get into it? 
I, uh, I lived in Houston, Texas most of my life. I was born in Argentina. I've got a lot of heart, but no body. Slowpoke. So I was always the last kid picked for uh, sports. When I was 10, I saw the Olympics for the first time, and I was hooked. I, I knew that's what I wanted to be. What drew me to, to them wasn't their athleticism. It was their spirit. Because right away, I realized this is a group of people that are willing to you know, fight for their goals and dreams for years, no guarantees of su- success, and finally make it. So I just wanted to be like them. But I didn't believe it was possible because I'm not getting picked for anything. I played soccer, football, for a long time. And um, when I was 21, I'm watching the Sarajevo games on TV. I see a little tiny skater, uh, Scott Hamilton, about five foot one, and he wins the gold medal and, and everything changed. I said to myself, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'm going to be in the next ones no matter what. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport. <laughs> and so uh, I looked at the list. It took me five minutes after looking at the summer sports to realize, man, you got to be Superman to do any of these things. There's no way. And then I started looking at the winter sports and tenacity was my strength. My nickname in high school was Bulldog because I never quit. And so I thought I need to find a sport with a lot of broken bones, maybe a lot of quitters. And that's how I'll make it to the top. And so I picked the luge. I went to Lake Placid, New York, and uh, four years and a few broken bones later, you know, I'm in the Calgary Olympics. (laughs) And so and just like starting a podcast, I mean, or starting anything, the first two years were brutal. I mean, I broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, a couple of ribs, but I kept coming back. But then after about two years, you pretty much know how to drive that darn sled. And now it's fine tuning and uh, the worst days are are behind you. And now it's, you know, the mental challenge of driving the best lines and, you know, anything you can do to get that best time. Yeah, brilliant. And I think there's some massive lessons there for our listeners to think about, understand and, and so forth. And uh, Ruben, I want to ask you a question here. This is uh, in relation to who's your favorite leader and why. Now, this person can be alive or from history, but who was their favorite leader? Favorite, favorite, probably I'd have to say Mandela. I mean, just because, you know, I can't imagine being, you know, jailed for 27 years and then coming back and forgiving those guys and then bringing them in into your into your your new government. I mean, uh, it just I've I've read several of his biographies and Mandela's number one, I think Gandhi and then Zelensky is way up there too. I mean, what this guy's doing is amazing. I mean, he's just became a leader overnight, you know, or he had it inside somewhere and it just came out. Amazing. It was almost like he was practicing as that actor slash comedian who was actually mimicking the leader. And then he was sort of like practicing and then they made him the leader in real life and then and a lot of the western leaders sort of laughed at him i think and then he's now showing them the kind of leader he is because of what's been happening and the way he stood up and you know you mentioned the word of before about the courage to get started but you also talked about how to endure and, and not to quit i think he's actually showing that but also the other word you said was tenacity and i think he's showing that in spades would you agree oh absolutely absolutely he's standing I loved it when uh, when when they thought that he he had run away. He says, "No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm staying." You know, and and uh, somebody offered him a flight out, and he said, "No, I don't want a flight out. I just want help to fight this thing." What a yeah. tough guy! I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Now, if you were to have the opportunity to sit down with Zelensky and for a coffee or Mandela on a park bench somewhere, what would be one question you might ask them? Obviously. You had that inside you 
it just came out. But how, where did you learn that? Did, did your parents teach you this? Where, where did it come from originally? I, I'd want to, I'd want to know that. Hmm. I reckon that's, that's a really good question. I think that you're right. I think that'd be wonderful to know where it came from, but also how they, they made it come out. Yeah. Now the title of the show is called leadership is changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does that mean for Ruben? It's funny. I was uh, having a coffee with a leadership coach, corporate leadership coach a couple of weeks ago. And we got to talking about that. And I don't do any coaching. I'm just a keynote speaker. I'm the guy that tries to inspire people to, you know, take action basically. Right. And we got to talking about leadership and how uh, today it seems like, uh, you know, everybody's soft and everybody, uh, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people seem to seem to be soft and uh, they don't know how to take criticism. They don't know how to, um, they take it personally, right? Instead of, uh, as something that they can use, a clue that they can use to be better in the future. And uh, I've, I have friends that are, uh, I have a friend that played played tennis in Wimbledon and he coached a number one player. And he says, today's players, I mean, you, as soon as you get a little tough on them, they, they, they run. And then the parents back up the kids instead of backing up the coach. I mean, my dad always backed up the coach, <laughs> right? The, uh, the authority figure. I've got teacher friends that say the same thing. I, uh, my sister-in-law is a, a, a math teacher, and she says it's so tough because uh, you, you try to teach these kids, and, and uh, as soon as you, you know, get serious, they, they start whining. So it's this, this attitude, this soft attitude that makes it, I'm sure it makes it much more challenging for, for a leader to do their job. Hmm. And do you think, I wonder if there's some, if it means also that some of the leaders are getting soft or is it more the employee side of things that I'm not sure? I hadn't thought about that, but, um, but it's, it's almost a mirrors this political correctness stuff where everybody's uh, walking on eggshells instead of saying what needs to be said. And so it's a, it's a sad, you know, state of affairs, really. I mean, it's, I'm not sure I know what the answer is. Uh, in fact, I, my, my first coaches were, my, well, my second coach, he was a three-time world champion and a four-time Olympian. And this guy was tough as nails. I mean, he was like General Patton. But we followed him because, you know, he'd been through the minefield, right? <laughs> my dad always said the best way to cross a minefield is follow somebody in their footsteps, right? Somebody that's crossed it already. And, and he was tough. And then I had another coach later. He was an American. He, he, um, he had a different personality. He was more of a field person, but he could get in my head better than the tough coach. And I was able to develop more as an athlete from this coach that understood how the mind works. He could get in your head than a coach who, who knew the technique, but maybe, maybe he was a great athlete, but not as good a coach, right? And when I say coach, you just think, or uh, you know, if you're listening out there, just think, just replace it with leader, right? Uh, or coach, boss, leader mentor it's the same thing yeah I, I think you're right i think it's uh it's amazing so how can we get into people's and i'm not saying that you need to be a mind reader and i'm not saying that you have to go and manipulate people we're not saying that at all what we're mm-hmm. saying here no. is is that we are actually working with people to get the best out of people by understanding what makes them tick and i think the people that would have worked with you ruben was to understand what made you tick for you to be the best athlete that you could be yeah, yeah. My kids did judo at the Olympic Training Center for about seven years, and uh, they they were uh, they they trained under the U.S. coach, and this was the first American to win a, a medal at the Olympics in the sport of judo. And this guy is another guy that's very tough as nails, right? But he has a 
he has a soft side too, but he's tough and underneath. And uh, when we first went, our daughter was 10 and our son was six. And he said, we're going to have to manage your son's expectations because girls, they, they uh, mature faster and she's already four years older. She's going to do better. I said, coach, whatever you say, we'll do. So Grayson, our son, he, for the first uh, year and a half, he didn't win a single bout in, in six tournaments, right? I, I tell him, man, you know what the ceiling of every dojo in Colorado looks like. You're always on your back, but you're growing, buddy. You're growing. Don't quit on me. One of these days is going to pop out, right? Just like it popped out in Zelensky, right? It's going to pop out, right? Because you have to win the personal victories before you can have the public victory, right? So um, meanwhile, his sister, Gabriella, she's winning medals left and right, right? And so it was very tough for him. But he just kept it, kept going. Before the seventh tournament, coach says, I think, you know, keep an eye on him. I think he's going to do well this time. So he wins. He, he brings his medal. And he's all, you know, so excited. And uh, I told him, yeah, 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 the medal is nice. But what you know what I'm proud of? I'm proud you didn't quit when 99% of the people would have quit. That's what shows you're a champion, right? You, you take that attitude anywhere in life. You're going to be a champ in whatever you want to do. And so... So here you have another coach that's tough, right? But he has a soft side. He knew how to talk to the kids. He knew how to make it fun. But at the same time, I've seen him kick out national level guys from his team because they were cussing at the dojo. He wouldn't put up with that, right? So he set standards. He wasn't soft. He just knew how to be uh, kind, right? Uh, and, and to um, get people to understand that he cared for them, that he had their best, you know, their best interests in, you know, in in mind. And it's a team effort, right? The coach's job is to teach and to correct and to lead the way. And the athlete's job is to work their tail off and do whatever the coaches say. And if they both do their job, they have a better shot of, you know, the team winning. And that's business or sports. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. And I like the I like what you talk about. You keep saying about popping out, how it just pops out. There's a there's a guy here in New Zealand or a New Zealander who's just become number one squash player in the world. And he became world champion and things like that. Now he's been number two or number three for years, and he's playing against the same guys. But all of a sudden, the last six months, something has popped out. Something has changed. Something, and and they were actually interviewing him yesterday, saying to him, "What's changed for you? What what has actually changed?" And he's like, "Oh, we've we've. I mean, the coach and I have talked about a few things more, but something's just popped out. It's just happened." Oh, they um, say that. <laughs> Yeah, what his mindset? It it, 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 he it, he broke through. Something broke through. Yeah, and, something has broken uh, through. Yeah. So you're you're New Zealander. I, I was trying yeah. to figure out. Okay, I got to tell you my New Zealand story then. Go for it. <laughs> about uh, about a year before the Salt Lake City Olympics, I had a terrible crash in Saint Moritz in Switzerland, and I broke my hand, broke my foot. But that's easy. You wait six weeks, and uh, and it's you know put a cast on for six weeks, and it's fine. But I couldn't afford another sled. And so I made a list of all the, all my luge buddies, you know, who, who I could borrow a sled from. And Adam Cook from New Zealand luge team, he lent me his, right? He says, but you, 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 you mess it up. You don't fix it. You buy me a new one. I said, done, Adam. You got it. And, but Adam's shorter than me. So it was a little bitty sled, right? But I, I qualified for uh, Salt Lake and I raced in Salt Lake on that little bitty sled because it's better than sliding on your rear end. You do what you can with what you have right now. No excuses, right? And that's another leadership, uh, uh, you know, attitude, right? Before, when I was training for Vancouver, one of the races was going to be in Lillehammer. I'd never raced in Lillehammer before. And uh, I needed to do well because you have to get enough World Cup points to be in the top 40 in the world. 
And so I went to Lillehammer about a month before for a couple of weeks of training. And coming out of curve 13, it looks like it's just it's just a trick of the mind. It looks like you're going to hit the wall. And so I would make a little jerk mo- motion from, from the fear, and that would put me into a skid. And I get myself out of the skid before 14, but I lost so much time that, you know, I would have blown the race. And coach said, what's going on? What are you doing, man? You're coming out. Your line out of 13 is fine. And then he showed me on the videos that, yeah, my line was just as good as the best, right? I said, man, it just looks like I'm going to crash. Well, well, relax. Don't. Well, he was saying it the wrong way, and he wasn't helping me. I go back to Houston, and I've got a friend who's a sports psychologist, and and he said, bring your sled, and uh, you know, let's let's see if we can fix that. Right? It's just a mental block. We lay on his on his living room carpet, and uh, he says, okay, do mind runs, right? Visualization runs, and tell me what you feel when you're coming out of thirteen. And I kept, and, and bear with me, right? I'm going to ask you a bunch of times till it comes out of your mind, right? I don't know what's going to make it elicit the response. So he keeps asking me. And finally, I said, here it comes. He said, what? Here it comes. You're being totally reactive, man. You got to be proactive. Here I come. You're going to stick it to the track, not the other way around. So that became my new mantra. Here I come. Here I come. Here I come. I put it on the cowling of my sled, so it's the last thing I see. I put it in front of my driving, you know, my, my steering wheel, my bookmarks, everywhere. Here I come. I go back for the race, and boom, no problem. I mean, just came out of 13, no problem. So it's just a little, see, a little tweak like that can change. So that's probably something like that probably happened to that uh, squash player. Something yep. happened that tweaked some kind of mental block, and that bumped him up from two to one. He's not going back down. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like uh, this is for the listeners who are listening to this. I mean, I think the, the important thing here is what Ruben's sharing is that we, we are psychologically going through things. We have things in our mind. Sometimes we put roadblocks or there's some blocks in our way. And if we just do a quick, small adjustment by actually talking to somebody about it, someone we trust, and we work through things or a professional, it can actually unlock that potential and then things can take off. And so, um, and I think if there's something that you're, a little bit stuck with today, then reach out to me as a coach. I will help you take you through things to help you do that. Now, Ruben, uh, we're living in a very fast-paced world, and I'm thinking about the luge, how it gets faster and faster over the years and times are getting faster. But what makes a leader successful in today's world in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, I think it's a combination of the things we've been talking about, uh, where you're, you set standards and you stick to them, right? You uh, stay the course. You are there for better and for worse, just like Zelensky, right? But on the other hand, you have to have this, uh, especially today, you have to have this soft, right? It's that, that velvet glove, right? And the iron hand type thing. You have to treat people kindly and you have to be in tune. And it's tough because most leaders are the A type, right? And then, and then the soft person, that's, that's a totally different type. <laughs> it's a type that most leaders don't even respect, right, unfortunately. But they have to. They have to, uh, they, they, they have to embrace that part, that tender, soft part, because they'll get better results. Just think, it's going to help me get results. Just say that yourself. That Forget, forget here I come. Say, it's going to help me get results. Okay, velvet glove, velvet glove. Yes, yes. <laughs> And eventually, when you buy into it, you'll be amazed at what happens. I could just see here now after those people listen to this episode, the sales of Velvet Gloves are going to go through the roof. Um, people, <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty good. But you're right. I mean, I think it's the iron fist with the Velvet Glove. It's about being relatable and it's about taking people on the journey. 
as well. And I think that you you've actually experienced it as well in the in the Olympics because the coaches and the people around you have supported you and taken you on that journey. Even the Germans are not actually recognizing you, but then later on recognizing you. That's all part of the journey as well, and enough taking you along on that journey, even though you may be wanting it to happen quicker. You know what? I just thought of something. I've done a lot of talks over the years for the uh, for the Amway Corporation, right? And it's a, that's a multi-level sales, uh, direct sales, and it's huge, okay? It's a multi-billion dollar company, and they brought me in many times to speak for them. And, and you get to talk to the Diamonds, and that's the name of their leader, right? A uh, Diamond in the Amway generation, uh, uh, Corporation is, is like saying a general in the Army. And so I talked to them about leadership and I asked them, okay, what makes a diamond? What makes you such a great leader? And they said, well, you know, the four personality types, most people have two. Well, we work hard to develop the other two. And when we're, when we're high, right, when we know how to turn on high on any four of the personalities, that helps so much because we can relate to all types of different people. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amazing. How long ago was that when you talked to the Diamonds? How, how Has there been several times you've done that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Last time was uh, last year, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I love being around those people. They're really good oh, people yeah. because, because they're smart business people, but there are people who what you've talked about before is they have that tenacity, they have the courage, they keep going, and yeah, they're very, very strong people to be around, to learn from. And, be, and they're, they're, to me, in my eyes, they're winners because they help other people get what they want. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny, um, oh gosh, Colin Powell, after he retired from, uh, from the military, he got mm-hmm. really into volunteer work, right, and volunteer organizations and trying to be a leader. And he realized, gosh, being a leader in a volunteer, you know, group, right, like the, like the pastor of a church or, or of somebody in the Amway that, you know, where you're leading volunteers is a much higher level of leadership than, than uh, you know, they're listening to you because you your rank, right? And so he was humbled a little bit, and um, and he and he had to relearn parts of, of leadership to you know fine tune to be able to yeah. to uh, work in that arena. Yeah, and Ruben, I the way I look at that is that you're you're so right what you're saying because I think it's, it's it takes more influence to do that because they're not being employed by you, they're not being paid by you, they're a volunteer as you said, and it's harder. It's it's that's where real leadership comes out to actually move people along. Uh, which is interesting. Interesting. Now, you and I have been talking about leadership in the, through the lens of a leader. If we were to flip this around, look at through the lens of an employee, you've already touched on this, Ruben, as well, a little bit too. But I think the thing is, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Well, I think that they're expecting them to be relatable and in tune with their feelings and flexible. And flexible is probably not going to happen because because they have to set standards. But they're expecting more. They're, they they want to be happy. They want to be you know uh, <laughs> they they want to live you know work in a in a happy place with where it's relaxed. And it's it's gosh, work is not a vacation, guys. <laughs> you have to, you know that's why they call it work. But hey, that's just how it is. I mean that's. So the leaders, the leaders have to adjust because if they want to get big projects done, you have to do them through other people. And so you have to figure out new ways to, to lead. And, and you've also even alluded to this earlier on about the younger athletes today and what they're expecting and so forth and how they're different. And a coach today can struggle with some of them as well. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think we've, we've covered that quite well. If we call them younger athletes or people 
who are athletes versus coaches, then we can actually say employees versus leaders. It's actually quite interesting to see how it works. And um, yeah, I think you've shared some really good things before about that too. When I played soccer, I played soccer when I was a little kid. And I remember when we came home from a game, my dad would be asking me questions and, and trying to get me to think about the, the game. And, and he would, you know, give me a little bit of coaching too. Well, what if you had done this? What if you had done that? Right. And, and we were analyzing it because you, you, you know, you want to, uh, you always as an athlete and, and in business too, you want to celebrate your victories and analyze your defeats. So on the way home, we were analyzing. And today, it's uh, no, they're not analyzing. Today, it, it seems like uh, they're they're just making excuses. And uh, ex whenever you make an excuse, you lose all your power. You automatically became the victim, and that's not a good place. Whenever so I'm talking to somebody and make an excuse, I lose respect. I don't even want to be right. around them anymore. Yeah, and yep. and that's how these coach friends of mine feel. You know, that get these whiny kids that uh, you know. But when you find a good one, boy, it's sweet. You know, it's like finding oh, a, diamond, it is. a diamond it in the is. rough. You're right. You're right. Totally right. I mean, I remember when I was a kid playing rugby, right? So rugby is what we call rugby union. And um, my brother and I would be playing and my brother would pick up the ball and he'd get act so angry. He would run right through the other team and score a try. That's what Harry's like. I was like, wow. And then I would come home with not even a speck of dirt on my uniform. And sort of they look at me and mum and dad, we talk about things and that. And dad's like, <laughs> and mum's like, yeah. So I, I caught it on, and so they could always tell how well I played, and and so much by the amount <laughs> of mud I had on my uniforms That's and funny. on my sports. And it's really quite interesting to see what happened. And um, yeah, I mean, I I the the more I sort of caught on to that and got more involved, the more I enjoyed the game, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah our coach yeah. in college, our coach used to right before the game, he used to make us roll around a little bit and get dirty. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's out of the way. Now you can play, okay? Don't worry about yeah. that uniform. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So the last question I've got for you, Ruben, is if I get you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think it's going to continue going in the same direction. I mean, when I see the news and when I see the way the governments are, at least here in the States, are interpreting what's actually going on out there, right? Which makes absolutely no sense, right? And, uh, and, and male, you know, male guys, you know, deciding they feel like a, a woman so they can win the, the swim competition, right? Or the, you guys, you, New Zealander was the, the, the weightlifter too, right? The same thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I think shame on the NCAA, who's the governing pow power over the, the, the uh, collegiate sports here. And shame on the uh, news, right, for, for making that person sound like a trendsetter. And so it's funny. Our, 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 so you have to adjust. It's, it's only going to get worse, right? People are just going to get weaker. So, so the leaders have to understand that we're going to have to deal with that. So we better get good at it. And whoever adjusts first, whenever there's change, that's an opportunity. Whoever adjusts first is going to win, right? So right. Uh, if you're listening to this, this is an opportunity. Don't, don't, don't complain about it. Just deal with it. And and uh, then five years from now, all the leaders that didn't deal with it will start calling you lucky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're so right. I mean, they will call people lucky. And it's a bit like also with an athlete who's going for the Olympic Games. I don't know how many times you may have been called lucky. But I think the thing is, is the luck is preparation, meeting opportunity. Yeah. That's luck. That's it. Yeah. So when we were getting ready for Vancouver, the track in Vancouver was 20 miles an hour faster than it was supposed to be. Right. They said, by the way, uh, the engineers messed up. 
So the second fastest track was the one in Park City, Utah by, by Salt Lake City. So on December 31st, they announced the 40 guys that were going, and I was 42. I didn't qualify. But I thought, hey, you never know. Somebody gets hurt, you know, breaks a leg. You know, I, I needed two guys to break their legs, basically, <laughs> to, to be able to move up two slots. And so in the meantime, I'm preparing myself. I spent all of January in Park City speed training, right, getting myself ready because you never know. And then three weeks before the, uh, the, the, the Olympics, the Vancouver Olympics, I get this email and they said, you made it. Norway decided not to send their three guys. They had three guys in the top 40, but they didn't send them because Norway will only send you if you're in your top 20. They're there to win. And so that bumped you up. You're 39. And so I've got, Nor see behind me, you can see one. See, I got the Norwegian flag back there. I got several of them around the house so I don't get a fat head. I'm, an Olymp I'm a four-time Olympian, thanks to Norway. Thank you, <laughs> Norway, yeah. Yeah, at the, at the Olympics, I wanted to carry the, the Norwegian flag. They helped me more than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but the important thing here, though, I think, Ruben, is the, to the message that we should be saying to the listeners here is the fact that even though you didn't make the cut at that time, do not quit. Because the attitude was, I have to keep preparing just in case. And it's not over until the Olympic game torch is put out. And then that's over. So keep going. Yeah. The top 40 got to go. And what about number 41? That guy did everything. He maxed out his credit card. He or she, right, broke bones, kept coming back, did everything coach said and missed it by thousands of a second on a, on a last race. That person feels sick inside. But when they look in the mirror, they can stand up tall because they know they're a better person because they had to dig so deep that they found God-given gifts that they had, but they didn't even know they had them. And now they've got them for the rest of their life. See, it's not about the dream. The dream's the carrot. It's about the person you become, right? And so um, I, I had people three months before, people would ask me, you know, at a Q&A after a talk, so are you going to make it? First, they asked me, you're going to win a medal? And I'd laugh. I said, are you going to make it to the Olympics? I said, at this point, I think it's 50-50. And, and I tell it like it is. I don't, you know, I just, that's just my way. And they didn't like that answer. And I says, how 50-50? Come on. With that attitude, you should be able to do it on 100%. I said, no, I can only control what I do. I can't control what the other guy does. But I'm going to do everything I can. So if I don't make it, I want to like that guy in the mirror, right? I, I don't want any regrets. That's it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think that's an awesome attitude. Ruben, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Follow the leader ted talk.com follow the leader ted talk.com i just did a, a a leadership talk on how i was such a hard head and i wouldn't listen i wouldn't listen to coach for three olympics okay and then i got my head straight and started listening to him embracing right away doing what he said and uh i, I was sliding better at 55 than, than when i was young just because i decided to follow the leader so you can watch the talk there and that's my website too follow the leader ted talk awesome there you go, listeners. Um, well, Ruben, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really appreciated the, the chat. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Listeners. Thank you. Thank you. So don't quit. You're a champion. Do what you can with what you have. And by the way, here I come. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. 
Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 